Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So yesterday's Iowa caucus, for those who don't believe in polling, like to dismiss it out of hand, Mm, polling pretty much right on the number yesterday as uh, Trump uh, eclipsed 50 percent of the vote with DeSantis nearly holding off Nikki Haley for second place. The uh, turnout actually was down uh, somewhat considerably, almost by by a third as compared to 2016. So maybe the weather did have some impact. Maybe the fact that um, there was a sense that Trump would... uh, circle the field, lap the field. Diversity uh, and diversity. Tar- oh, maybe that had something to do with it as well. But turnoff was off. Uh, here's uh, what. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, who goes on, because uh, here's DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley overperforming. I think arguably you say DeSantis underperforming, but that's not the message that DeSantis delivered last night. We love you, too. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. They spent almost $50 million attacking us. No one's faced that much all the way just through Iowa. They, the media was against us. They were writing our obituary months ago. They even called the election before people even got a chance to vote. But they were just so excited about the fact that they were predicting uh, that we wouldn't be able uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa. But I can tell you, because of your support, in spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. I get to leave Iowa. <laughs> but uh, does he really? I'm politically have his ticket punched through Iowa or out of Iowa. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 646-36DA, turnkey.pro text line. I don't think there's a lot to celebrate. He and Haley were neck and neck for a while. And then I thought Dan Proff's going to be right, as he always is, because you claimed yesterday on the air that he would come in second, and he did. He did, but again, it was not a overperformance. It was not like a wow. DeSantis uh, had a strong second finish. It was DeSantis sort of limped past Nikki Haley, who didn't have much of a ground game, and is betting most of her chips on New Hampshire, whereas DeSantis bet all of his chips on Iowa. So the question becomes: um, Was that the right play for DeSantis, or was what uh, Vivek Ramaswamy did? the right play. And I'm also making the decision that this has to be an America First candidate in that lineups. 
As I've said since the beginning, there are two America First candidates in this race. And earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulate him on his victory. And now, going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. <laughs> I love when people yell, no, Vivek, no. Yeah, don't, don't do go. it. That was Chris Christie you heard shrieking. Uh, so <laughs> Ramaswamy is out. Oh. Ron DeSantis carries on. Nikki Haley's message is the obvious one, given her relative overperformance. I can safely say tonight Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Why is she changing her voice? Because she's in uh, farm Iowa. country. Yeah. yeah. She's I'm a hillbilly. She's we're a gonna, hayseed when she's in Iowa. We're going to go work the land in Iowa. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Just go um, back to your real voice, please. And um, and then ha- has anybody heard from Asa Hutchison? Who? Asa exclamation point. I wanted to. Is Asa dropping out? Is he still campaigning? <laughs> Does anybody know? Does his wife know? Uh, uh-huh. Anyway. Uh, so the the only the question really is two person race. Nikki Haley was is according to some polling within striking distance of Trump in New Hampshire. Right. This will be all hands on deck for Nikki Haley from the establishment donor class and others to try to put a chink in Trump's armor in New Hampshire to really have the possibility this could become a two person race. The Nikki Haley would get some momentum counting on, on New Hampshire that she would. Uh, potentially compete in South Carolina, where she is not competitive now, her home state. But um, I don't know. I mean, this hall has the feel that the uh, D.C. press corps is trying to create a competitive race that really doesn't exist. That's my feeling. 312, excuse me, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Our text line is up and running. Six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Craig Mount Greenwood. Oh, hey, good morning, Dan and Amy, and uh, thanks much for taking my call. But this whole thing, there's nothing to celebrate, and there's the, 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 the bottom line. This is cheaters' proof with uh, Trump being robbed from the election. That everybody, I mean everybody, all the people I know, even there was people that were for Biden, and they're all voting for Trump. Everybody. They're wasting their time. They're wasting the money. They could be uh, used for Trump's campaign. They're wasting time, money, effort, everything. They're stupid. Um, they ruin their uh, reputations as far as I'm concerned. I used to like uh, very highly the Santas, Nikki Haley. They went all the other way. They're, they're idiots. They're, they fit right in the category with Christie and the thing that all scumbags that are never Trumpers and stuff like that. Well, well, they need the. Right. Well, 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 I mean, I you know, you, you're you're allowed to run for president, right? I mean, you, I mean, as you could say, like, everybody should just get behind Trump. But I don't think you're a bad person if you say, well, I think I would be a better president and I put myself out there for consideration. I, I, I don't know why that is taken as, you know, such a slight or some some sort of expression of disloyalty. I don't think it's that. I got an answer for it because you're exactly right about the every right to run for president. But this election is so different in, from every other election that we've ever had, probably ever will have, because of all of the shenanigans that took place with Trump and how that guy won fair and square and got robbed and everything like that. That was that. 
That's my uh, reason for like when these people should have supported them. They should have said, them, "Hey, when all these people are coming at them trying to sue and take his money, lose his businesses, and this guy is being pummeled in everything that, and then he's got a, you know, he's got this going too." It's it's just that it's so unique and unusual from any other election. That's my reason. They should just take and you know realize this guy is getting pummeled. Let's get behind him. Well, uh, you well, know, thanks he, for the call, Dan Craig. He's not alone. I, one of my dear friends, well, I know who's he's a Republican, not. is was so offended that they even telecast the debates. Was so offended that candidates even participated in the debate. Like they have a right to run, but uh, the bigger picture here. You know why Nikki Haley lost? Because of racism, according to Joy Reid and those uh, hacks over at MSNBC. Stuff. I mean, it, it's the elephant in the room. She's still a brown lady that's got to try to win in a party that is deeply anti-immigrant and which accepts the notion that you can say immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. She's getting, you know, birthered by Donald Trump. Um, and I don't care how much the donor class likes her, which will yeah. ramp up a lot, the better yeah. she does in New yes. Hampshire. So it's still a challenge. I don't see how she becomes the nominee of that party with Donald Trump still around. I can't picture it happening. Maybe it could happen. Ron DeSantis' only argument for staying in it is he's the white guy that he can still make the appeal to white people. While we have... Right. Yeah, that, um, that Sikh immigrant who is the governor of uh, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Right. Um, Joy Reid is proof that a Harvard degree is completely meaningless. But she, I mean, she's a blonde bombshell, no question. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she is proof that a Harvard degree is completely meaningless. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We were just getting into the postmortem on the last night's Iowa caucus. And, you know, the overriding question is, should Ron DeSantis end his campaign? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text. I mean, what is the play for DeSantis going forward? He He's not going to be competitive in New Hampshire. I don't even think he's attempting to be at no. this point. Um, I, I don't know where he loses, the, you know, the momentum he's lost coming out of Iowa with an underperformance, basically um, put it going all in in Iowa. Then he's not in play in New Hampshire. And so if Haley 
uh, wins, obviously, or even finishes a competitive second, then there's going to be more momentum for her. And then, and then, what? Where does DeSantis conjure up another stand or new momentum in South Carolina? Uh, he's going to marshal on until Super Tuesday and March fifth, and somehow that's going to come together for him. I, what, what is he? If, he, if I should put it this way, if he doesn't have something new to offer, if there's not going to be a new and improved Ron DeSantis with a crisper message that really provides contrast and galvanizes reconsideration and they've got something cooking that they've poll tested and they think this can really change the dynamic of the race, then then what exactly is the point? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Do you think it'd be better for the party, Dan, if you just pulled up Vivek and dropped out of the race and supported I think it'd be better Trump? For, I think you'd be better for Ron DeSantis. That's oh. my point. I'm not doing this. Oh, uh, he's flacking for Trump. I'm not flacking for Trump. I'm saying for Ron DeSantis's perspective, I don't see how it makes sense. I've heard so many people say we just want him to come back to Florida and govern Florida. F- Florida's doing fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean all, I... all this, you know, we miss him so. Really? We, we, you thought about Ron DeSantis on a day-to-day basis or, or any governor? I mean, all that. That's, that's Maybe that's, they're just saying that because they want him to drop out and that's, yeah, do that, what that's, he's been doing best, and that's being governor of Florida. That's all pundit talk. You know, oh, he's abandoned the state. Oh, he's not governing. And wait, what does that mean? What do you think that means that, you know, the person who says that? I always like to challenge these bromides that people okay, hear on them? cable news and then they just repeat. Oh, yeah, I miss him so much. Uh, I mean, what you tell them is um, Florida it remains the magnet for population and capital and thus growth that um, you've got uh, uh, Republican leadership in the General Assembly. You've got a Republican governor. You've got Republican statewide office holders. You've got Republican uh, domination in the federal caucuses, federal delegations as well, in terms of the two senators and the congressional delegation. I mean, um, I tell my friend, look, he's only a two and a half hour flight away from home. You'll be fine. Something yeah, and be, and and you can do a lot of things in 2024 that where you don't need to be physically present right. all the time. I mean, Florida is not going to list into the Atlantic if uh, Ron DeSantis carries on to New Hampshire. Okay, I mean, it's <laughs> good grief. Mm. Um, so, but 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 from DeSantis's perspective, there's an op- there's a window of opportunity here for him. My advice to him, I'm sure he'll take that with the proper grain of salt, but regardless, I'll offer it. This is not happening. In, in point of fact, I think Ron DeSantis needs to do some real introspection about whether he can be a candidate at this level. Not because he doesn't have the talent, uh, you know, the ability to be a president, but because maybe he doesn't have what is required to be a presidential candidate that's successful. Um, I think that's there's a real question based on his performance. Maybe yeah, the wrong campaign team. Maybe it's a combination of the two. But that but but with the resources he had, with the time that he spent, with the momentum and good standing with which he came into the race, he featured coming into this, you know, in the early 
summer of last year. Oh, I had such high this hopes. This is this is this is th- there's something that's not working, and it ha- and it has nothing to do. I mean, it has something to do with Trump, but but it, it's not working. Well, it's not working against somebody who is, you know, sort of an establishment reciter of cliche strings like Nikki Haley. It's not even working against her, much less a former president with all that surrounds him. There's something fundamentally wrong with the approach and the quality of the campaign that Ron DeSantis has run to this point. So he's done damage to himself. And there's a window of opportunity right now where he has value if he drops out. If he if he dropped out and he rolled in with Trump, then number one, that would I I assume be welcome from Trump world, and I think they could restore some of the damage he's done to himself with an eye towards twenty twenty eight if he if he want if he wants to do this again, or with an eye towards something else in Florida. You know, if a Senate seat were to become vacant or something like this, that's why I think it's it's there's an Overton window for DeSantis's political future. That is open right now, but it won't be open very long. It won't be open, certainly past South Carolina. I mean, think about it. He visited every county in Iowa. There's, what, 99? And he only got 23,420 votes. And Trump, 56,260. Jeff in Cal City. Uh, Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Dan, what you're talking about alludes back to the caller in your previous segment who just wanted everyone to drop out and throw their support behind Trump. I mean, right now you're even saying, why is DeSantis in there? I understand that people have a right to run, but it's almost narcissistic. I mean, what what's the point of them doing it? Why doesn't everyone just gather together and really try to beat by machine? Well, I, thanks for the call. I mean, you know... There's a couple of things I say in response to that. One is, um, you know, maybe there's a path that we don't see, even if it's a a low probability path. Number two, um, maybe there's an an additional message I want to get out, or there's a state like, you know, Nikki Haley for New Hampshire for Nikki Haley, where I think I can turn this and momentum's a funny thing in politics. I can understand that. The other thing I would say, though, too, but let's just uh, everybody get out and let's just get together. That's one of those things that sounds good. Mm -hmm. A a lot of times it really doesn't work out that way. You know, I've been in one of those uh, multi-candidate fields. And, every you know, and 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 I was not the candidate who won and everybody got together and supported uh, after Bill. I'm talking about the governor's race in 2010. Bill Brady wins nomination and the other six candidates got together. We're all there at the unity breakfast the day after supported Bill Brady and offered but, you know, at the end of the day, Brady campaign, I mean, and maybe this is just a function of that campaign, but I, I think this happens. I've been on a lot of campaigns, too. You know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the relationships aren't that strong. There's acrimony. Um, you don't find necessarily any particular utility with some of your competitors. I mean, it's just it, it's not the, it's, it doesn't necessarily it is not necessarily the force multiplier that people think it is, I guess, is my point. Something else. Primaries make candidates who are of the eventual nominee better. You know, better, right? You, uh, somebody comes at you from this angle or that angle. You have to get out in Iowa like Trump had to get out in Iowa and have rallies and connect with people and talk to uh, 
influence leaders, political influence leaders in Iowa. And then you have to go on to New Hampshire. You can't just hang out at Mar-a-Lago and focus on your uh, various uh, criminal proceedings and uh, because you can, you know, you don't have any, you have a walk in the primary. Nobody's uh, coming at you from inside the perimeter. So I think this makes, I think this process is going to make Trump a better candidate. Oh, he was good last night. I mean, I don't know. You remember when Brett Baer was on last Friday and I said, is there a difference that you've noticed in his demeanor? And he said, yeah, he's he's matured. And he was on point because 40% of Iowa voters, their number one concern is migration. The reason, and we got Mexico to give us 28,000 soldiers free. And we had remain in Mexico and we had catch and release in Mexico. And we did a job. We had the safest border in our history. We had the greatest economy in our history. We had a great, we were a great nation three years ago, and now we're a nation in decline. Yeah, we okay. Are going to I mean, turn it's, it's, it's the so same thing we've been hearing from happen. Trump. It's right. the, it's the, you know, if you're not better off than you were four years ago, then let's go back with me. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's yeah, a good. He pitch. was just very humble. He wasn't bombastic or anything. He was just measured. I thought yesterday, but strong. I, I, you know, there's only so much you're going, you can do to. Um, enhance Trump to make him better. I mean, he, he is who he is. He's a 77, 78-year-old dude. He's not going to be a different guy. But 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 there are gradations of Trump like there are for every person. And there are some things that he's better at than other things. There are some moments he is better in than other moments. And so you just want more of the good. And I think, again, this competition produces more of the good, even in terms of you know, rather than breathing fire in the direction of DeSantis and Nikki Haley, I mean, he was he gave them a little dig, but it was sort of a gracious, fun-loving dig. He said, you know, Nick and Ron were having fun together in this little process. <laughs> so, but you know, so it was it it wasn't the invective that you can sometimes get from Trump, and so it was, yeah, I guess you could say a bit of a kinder and gentler. I mean, here's a uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich. Uh, sort of summing up where the race is, and to my point about DeSantis, and I again I say this as a fan of DeSantis. I know some DeSantis supporters have not been happy that I haven't thrown all in with DeSantis in this process, but regardless, I'm a fan of DeSantis. He has been an outstanding governor. He will continue to be an outstanding governor. He is an outstanding executive. I think he would be a good president, but he's not going to be, not in 2024. Quick points. One. This is the people's victory. Despite every media, despite every lawsuit, despite every effort to destroy Trump, the people of Iowa have stood up and said, no, he is our candidate. Number two, he's the nominee. Get over it. He is the nominee. He's going to win the nomination. The news media doesn't want to say that because they they need to somehow hype. Please watch us while we go through this charade. Hmm. There is no candidacy for number two. There is no number two. There are irrelevancies. You get to be the leading irrelevant or the second irrelevant or the third irrelevant. But nobody's going to be number two because he's going to dominate totally if you look at the country at large, where he's at like 62 or 64 percent approval. Right. So unless you have an idea of how to change that between now and Super Tuesday, which is in a month and a half, then... um, yeah, what Gingrich said is right right on the mark. Bob Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Always good talking to you. 
let's go out into the future, four years ahead into 2028. DeSantis ought to be just be a little bit careful that if he's got a path to 2028, and I'm just wondering who Trump may um, pick as his VP, and will that person have the inside track for the um, election in 2028? Your thoughts? Well, great day. Thanks, Bob. Doesn't I mean, he yeah. need to somebody to choose somebody who can get white suburban women to come back on the Trump team, or not come back, but to switch parties from Biden to Trump? Yeah. Or is that already gone? No, I don't. I don't. I, like again, I'm I, f- focusing on awfuls. For, forget awfuls. Forget them. Okay. You know, uh, th- that's don't you know, obsess about voters you can't get, and abandon voters you can. That's what the Republican Party does in Illinois, which is why it ceased to exist. So you know, I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I think you're looking for sort of talent and something that fits the overall value proposition more than trying to say this person has this appeal for this narrow cohort of voters. I I think that's the wrong way to think about VP. Um, I think uh, particularly because Trump is in his late 70s, you're going to want somebody that is younger. I mean, you know, I would say like significantly younger. Um, So. That that to me is probably a bigger factor in terms of presenting the overall package, the overall vision and leadership team. And something Hugh Hewitt actually said in this commentary that's been running this week, I think is uh, worth considering, too, as Trump moves on in this process, is um, it wouldn't be a bad idea to platform some other people who may have key roles in your administration, too, just like put, and, and put out another list of potential Supreme Court nominees as well while you're at it. Give us the sense that you've got this broad, talented team that is ready to go on day one, that it is not just going to be uh, a vengeance tour, you know, one man uh, trashing the um, everyone inside the beltway, which. By the way, that wouldn't bother me at all. That's a good start, frankly. But but then you have to get to the bigger things about whether we're actually going to do the things that he was talking about yesterday, starting with border security. That that wouldn't be a bad idea. So, you know, will the VP have an inside track to 2028? Sure. Probably, particularly if they um, perform well and obviously if they're victorious. Um, Yeah, of course. Well, this is why. DeSantis, despite people saying, oh, do you wait till 2028, wait till, you know, 2028 is a long time away. He'll be two years out of office by that time. He probably wouldn't, wasn't going to be the VP for Trump, even if uh, he didn't run. And so, you know, there, this is not a static environment. There are going to be other people that have opportunities to get the inside track for 28 and beyond. And so DeSantis took a shot when he thought he had one. And there was a lot of reason at the time to think that he did, but it hasn't panned out. And some of that is beyond his control, the lawfare against Trump. And some of that is the quality of the campaign and messaging and candidate. He has been in this process. I'm sorry, but that's what the voters have said, frankly, Greg and Schomburg. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Dan, your point about the uh, Santa's dropping out, I hope he does, and here's why. Because it's inconceivable to me that Trump was in Mar-a-Lago and just hang out. What we need is somebody like Trump who actually is formulating exactly what you said. Here's my plan. 
put out a Gingrich-like plan, you know, uh, you know, point by point by point, name people that are going to be in the administration, rally this country around points because it is not happening right now. And the other thing, too, is if he were to do all of that, this mishmush Congress that we got with a leader that I don't think is very good in the House would crystallize and be able to pull both of them over the line when it comes about in November. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Greg. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I guess it's too cold to go to school and it's too cold for mayors to trek down to the United Center for a meeting with BLM Brandon. It's too bad because that would have been the most excitement the United Center has seen this season. Hey ho! Um, yeah. yeah, they said the temperatures you know are too cold, extreme cold, and wind chills thirty to forty below zero. Uh, so it's it's safer to re uh, you know to reschedule the meeting. But I don't think they're ever going to reschedule it because I don't think that's the reason why the meeting was canceled. I think because nobody was going to show up except maybe the mayor of Dalton, but she had to get her hair done first and get a new outfit. Well, um, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, first of all, this Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus, you know, is a uh, is a rolling thing. Secondly, BLM Brandon wants the suburbs to pick up some of the slack here, pick up some of the migrants, set up their own warming centers and migrant shelters. So he's going to have to communicate uh, something, one would think, to mayors that he believes may be receptive. And also, I mean, the other piece of it, as we talked about it yesterday, boy, if I'm a mayor of uh, a suburban community that uh, hasn't completely lost its mind, and I think there's a few of those left, uh, I would go down there or go to whatever meeting is called by Johnson and uh, tell him exactly what my position is on behalf of my community. So there's that. that's an opportunity as well. Um, so that everybody's on the record. Just so you understand, uh, I'm Dan. I'm the mayor of uh, Danville, and you know, and I'm coming here to tell you that uh, we're not on your program in Danville. All right, and I don't mean you know Danville Gene Hackman's uh, boyhood home. I mean the fictional Danville. 
Uh, anyway, so let's get some perspective, even though the meeting's not transpiring. The issue is certainly not going away. Oh, no. A jelly belly was in Iowa last night stumping for Biden. We miss him so. Please come back and govern. Yes, please. Uh, this is like watching him last night actually made me miss Governor Newsom. Like, I don't yeah. want to see him there. What, and he somebody was, else. He was bemoaning Governor Abbott that um, to, to his, his chagrin, Governor Abbott was not moved by the letter that was sent. What a surprise yeah. there. All right, for more on all this, we're pleased to be joined by longtime Elk Grove Village Mayor. He is Craig Johnson. Craig, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Mayor Dan, thank you for having me. (laughs) Yes, Mayor Dan of the fictional Danville, the only place I can get elected. Um, So uh, what is your message uh, to Brandon Johnson? You know the uh, plea is going to be made. The suburbs have to pick up. Uh, pick up uh, some of the the migrants here. They have to do their part because we're a sanctuary state. He said it before. He'll say it again. Well, um, I think we kind of made our messages clear. Uh, my fellow mayors out here in the suburbs, we've been passing ordinances stating our position. Um, our position is um, we feel that the migrants should not be coming up here. They shouldn't be even coming into the country at this time. They should be following the federal government, should be resolving this issue first before anything happens. The sad part of all this is, is you're having local mayors resolve federal issues. That should not be happening. And you know, that's why you see so many towns passing these bus ordinances. Uh, we passed one. We passed one about uh, using hotels. We passed one about vacant buildings in Elk Grove. In other words, we have to take this on ourselves. But I think we sent a message to Mayor Johnson of Chicago, no relation, no, you know, I, I don't know Brandon yet. I'm sure I'll get to meet him at some point, but we sent a message out. Um, you know, it, the problem we have here is we got conflict because some towns, some states call themselves sanctuary states, sanctuary cities. Well, fine. If you're a sanctuary city, then welcome them, take care of them, but don't complain. We have not declared ourselves that way. We call ourselves a town that follows the rule of law. The law that was successful 200 years, my family's all immigrants coming over from Europe. They followed the law back then to get in here, and the system seemed to work. Now there is no system. It's just a free-for-all, and it's unfortunate. But I think we sent a message loud and clear. I know a lot of mayors in this area I talked to were not going to go to Chicago because we all kind of agree. We made our stance. We are not here allowing that to go forward in our communities. Well, wait, was anybody going to go to the meeting? Not that I talked to any of the mayors I talked to, none were going. Um, so, you know, and I'm sure that was the problem going on. But, again, I know I'm not saying I'm for Governor Abbott, against Governor Abbott, but I understand the situation he's in. Again, he did not declare Texas a sanctuary state. Yet he's got to deal with as many people Chicago's gotten over the past year and a half. He gets on a monthly basis in one town. Um, you know, and then we get upset that he wants to try to get some help for his state and his communities by spreading the impact to those towns and states that want the people. Fine, send them there. Well, wait a minute. I'm old enough to remember in September of 2022, you opened up La Quinta Inn for migrants. So no, we didn't open it up. Um, the city okay, of Chicago, mm-hmm. without advance warning us, except for two hours, shipped them on CTA buses to our community. And... Um, Matter of fact, we had a little standoff for a while there, Mayor Lightfoot, and the fact that we had to make sure we got some assurances about the safety, the backgrounds of these folks before we would even let them off the bus. 
We got some assurances from the federal government. They got off. They're supposed to be a two to three month stay. About seven months later, we started having issues. There were some arrests, drug issues, alcohol issues, abusive issues. So um, neither say we made an agreement. They left our town pretty quickly, and we've had none since. They've attempted to come to our town twice in the past month. One dropped off a busload at a Love's fueling station here in Elk Grove at 12:30 in the morning. Uh, we were able to able to find these migrants' locations to go to out of our town. And then they tried when they left Palatine about a week and a half, two weeks ago. When they left Palatine, they tried to divert into Elk Grove. We met them and we were able to escort them to a town in DuPage County. They put them on the trains and went to Chicago. So they've attempted things. And again, I've got nothing against people trying to better themselves. But just like Dan and Amy and me, we do it following the laws, following the way to do it. And I know they say, well, they're not illegal. What the federal government's doing is playing games, and it's not right, because you're playing games with human beings. These people are human beings too, folks. You know, they're not bad, all bad people. There might be some in there, but they're not all bad. And they're being misguided to what to do. Be honest with them. Say, stay where you're at, apply for the system, then come in per our system. It's worked for hundreds of years until the last three years where everything got screwed up by the federal government. Go yeah. back to the system that worked. That's better no. for the people coming here, and it's better for us that are here. It can be a win-win. Think about this, Amy and Dan. You had people that left Venezuela. We all know that's not a great country. Here, they wanted to beg us to send them back to Venezuela. So what's that tell them about what they're coming to here in America? Because we don't have a system set up that works. We had a system that worked for hundreds of years. We got to well, go back to that system. Well, that definitely should be part of the message to BLM Brandon too. It's uh, obviously you have to represent your community and uh, think about public safety and and taxpayer resources, but also the message should be sent. That, yeah, you know, um, when you make false promises to people, that's predatory. You're you're the bad actors in this story, the sanctuary city politicians, not uh, all of the migrants. Uh, we've said the same on this show. And um, and then you and you and yeah, and, and a lot of people who are otherwise well-intended, want a better life, kind of well-intended uh, are caught in the middle. But but to your point about what triple threat Lightfoot tried to do to you in the previous administration, it seems to me that would be my concern is uh, obviously Chicago sees all these suburb, suburban communities passing these ordinances as well. And so like, well, I don't think we're going to get constructive engagement with some of these mayors. So we'll just do it under cover of darkness. Well, and Dan, you brought up a point. You say send your message uh, to the mayor. Now, I don't have track of the mayors that responded, didn't respond. Obviously, I don't, I don't have access to that. But I think him canceling today sent a loud message. If it was due to what you said, the fact that not many mayors are going to go, it's not the weather. We're, we're used to this weather in Chicago. Yeah. Um, it's They sent a message. We don't agree maybe with everything you're doing, Mayor Johnson. Um, you know, our towns are taking care of our towns the way we think should be taken care of. And, again, you're right, Dan. You hit it right up the nail right on the head. If you want to welcome them, God bless. That's your ability as mayor of the city of Chicago or the governor of the state, areas he can control. He's got that right to do that. But if you're going to welcome people, then welcome them. Let them come in. And, yeah, if it's a million people, well, you wanted them. They're there. You better take care of them. We don't feel that's appropriate what they're doing. So in our communities, we're saying, no, that's not the way it should be done. We're not going to let them be welcomed because they now found the proper way of doing it, which was the way it was successful in the past. I'm here. I'm not sure about Amy, you and Mayor Dan there, but my family's <laughs> immigrant. 
My relatives oh, talked. Yeah, my grandpa um, came from them, Sweden. Yeah, see, mine was Sweden and Denmark. And it took them three years to get through the process to get to America. But that's fine. They followed the process. They went through Ellis Island. The rumor in the family history is my name was Johansson. Went through Ellis Island. They said, name Johansson. They wrote Johnson. Right. That was it. But they were in America, and they did it the proper way. Now it's not being done, and all you're doing is hurting a lot of good people, whether they're immigrants or Americans. It's not working what they're doing. And local mayor of Elk Grove should not be doing President Biden's job. What President did uh, Biden do it. What, what, if uh, Brandon Johnson rescheduled the meeting but, like, rented out to the Avalon Banquet Hall in Elk Grove Village, you know, bringing in a little business, would you, would you attend then? Could you, could he, Here's could the he... bad part, Dan. The Avalon's been torn down. Oh, it is? Oh, so, see, you're uh, so we, 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 I'm not hanging out in El, Elk Grove Village enough, apparently. Uh, let's see what we could do at the pavilion. Oh, yeah, what? The Belvedere still too. We have oh, the Belvedere's there. Okay, all right, we could do yeah. the Belvedere. But would you show up? Thing, Dan, that whole idea. Think about it. You're going to have. We were told in Chicago, if you had the mayor, it's going to be at United Center. And my understanding is the United Center holds twenty thousand people, not counting the floor. We were told only the mayor could come. You can't bring staff. So well, if you have twenty thousand mayors there. How much dialogue, give them back 20,000? Can you make with 20,000 mayors? Um, I mean, it's not realistic. I think the better way to do it is to reach out and talk and get consensus. We talk, all of us mayors talk. So you talk to one mayor, he probably talked to 20 other ones. We could get doing a better scale that way than this. But the problem is this. Even he's having a problem in his town. His, uh, the board in Chicago, the councilmen and women, wanted to do a vote on if they should be a sanctuary city. They won't allow that. Mm -hmm. So they don't have a consensus in their own city of what should be done. Everything you see in the suburbs being passed, all the laws are passing unanimous, most part, in those towns. So the local towns are unified in their view and stance going forward. I think Mayor Johnson needs to get his city council unified with him on what their view should be before you reached out to other towns to partner with us to get something done. And the governor should be involved. I don't agree with them making the state a sanctuary state. Um, you know, so we need to sit down and work it out with the governor, too. You know, but the bottom line is this on all this. It's not our issue. President Biden needs to do his job and resolve this issue and resolve it right on both sides for the Americans and the immigrants. Do it right. Make a system that works and go forward. But in the meantime, don't just have open board borders and let a floodgate come in. Like I say, I have empathy for my mayors down in Texas. I, I can't imagine here in Oak Grove, all of a sudden, 10,000 people every day started coming to my town Whew. expecting to live here and be here. Yeah, I mean, especially no if they're Scandinavians. Hey, yeah. hey, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Do it the right way. <laughs> they need to pick it on us. I know. And I was Mayor, Jakobson. They need vote. Uh, Elk Grove Village, uh, longtime Elk Grove Village Mayor Craig Johnson. Okay, no migrant shelters coming to Elk Grove. Uh, uh, Craig Johnson, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for all your coverage. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. Top of the morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Uh, it's time for another installment from our vice president. And now, deep thoughts. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, addressing the South Carolina women's basketball team. Oh, no, please don't play. 
when the people are in these stands watching you, be they parents or students or kids, you're lifting them up. When people are out here saying, oh, are they saying yay? Or are they saying all of the things that they say in response to the game? You're lifting them up with a sense of joy about being a part of a community. And we need that. Oh, please, please stop. Is that uh, like one of the pep talks you give the, the girls on your volleyball Oh, heck teams? no. They're going, yay, ah, woo, you're lifting them up. Oh, what is she? Uh, she's obviously never played sports in her life. I would, uh, yeah, that's not motivational, but I don't know if she knows what else to say. Hey, you know. Um, in a situation like that. There's so many classics, so many classic mm-hmm. deep thoughts from Kamala Harris, uh, our philosopher queen. But uh, since we did uh, observe Martin Luther King Day yesterday, mm-hmm. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't remember. Oh, when she was a baby. When she when she plagiarized Martin Luther King. I mean, I know it's all the rage. I could get you a presidency at Harvard University, but we this is another. Mm-hmm. And now, deep thoughts. There are a lot of good stories. Do you get that energy from your uh, your parents or the, the thought of, hey, I have to fight for what's right and um, yeah. I got to get out there? And I mean, when when were you out there protesting? Well, I was in a stroller. <laughs> I was in a stroller. And um, so I was out there. And in fact, my wow. mother used to have a very funny story about I was fussing and, and, and she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I said, and this is how she would say it. And she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I said, freedom. <laughs> no. Oh, come on. Freedom. It was a much cuter story when she would tell it. But that's the story. Is that her story, Dan? She's darling. Oh, that's such a nice moment. Uh, Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. This is Martin Luther King. These are his words. I will never forget a moment in Birmingham when a white policeman accosted a little Negro girl, seven or eight years old, who was walking in a demonstration with her mother. What do you want? The policeman asked her gruffly. And the little girl looked him straight in the eye and answered, freedom. She couldn't even pronounce it, but she knew it was beautiful. Many times when I have been in sorely trying situations, the memory of that little one has come into my mind and has buoyed me. Um, this just in, Kamala Harris wasn't that little one. No. Oh. Was it sloppy attribution? Or just <laughs> yes. Full-on plagiarism, huh? Yes. You sloppy, sloppy attribution. Um, what were the other euphemisms that were used for Claudine Gay's I plagiarism? I just um, love the uh, Duplicative language. Oh, that's right. Duplic- it was duplicative language. Yes. A little duplicative language, a little mm-hmm. sloppy attribution, and all of a sudden, you inspired Martin Luther King. That's Kamala Harris. Well, I mean, you know, such a try hard. We, I mean, it's we, so we have a fabulous in chief and she's uh, just trying to fall in line. It's you know, tough to compete with uh, Joe Biden's ridiculous fairy tales. So she's doing her best. And that's when we say, yay. And wow, <laughs> we come together as a community. Newt Rockney Harris, our vice president. Oh, my God. One heartbeat away from the presidency. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. 
Nikki Haley said it's now a two-person race. Ron DeSantis said he got his ticket punched out of Iowa, so he'll marshal on, it would appear. Here's what Newt Gingrich said about uh, yesterday's victory in Iowa by former President Trump lapping the field as he did. Quick points. One, this is the people's victory. Despite every media, despite every lawsuit, despite every effort to destroy Trump, the people of Iowa have stood up and said, no, he is our candidate. Number two, he's the nominee. Get over it. He is the nominee. He's going to win the nomination. The news media doesn't want to say that because they they need to somehow hype. Please watch us while we go through this charade. There is no candidacy for number two. There is no number two. There are irrelevancies. You get to be the leading irrelevant or the second irrelevant or the third irrelevant. But nobody's going to be number two because he's going to dominate totally if you look at the country at large, where he's at like 62 or 64 percent approval. So who's right? Let's put that question to our friend, former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, now the president and CEO of Young America's Foundation. Also, of course, former presidential candidate in 2016. Governor Walker, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Good morning. Good to be with you. So um, two-person race between Haley and Trump, still a three-person race. DeSantis pushing forward, or Gingrich has it sussed out pretty clearly? As usual, the former speaker's on the money. Uh, I wrote about this last week and said Trump was going to win with over 50%. Uh, DeSantis would be his last stand because he put almost all of his effort and focus on this. His super PAC spent millions If he couldn't uh, produce at least a close second in Iowa, he's done. The real question, even through yesterday, was whether or not uh, Nikki Haley would sneak past him. She'll live to fight another day in the sense that New Hampshire is set for someone like her, or at least the perception of her, uh, and that is that uh, moderates, independents can have a greater standing. And with former Governor Chris Christie as the race, presumably most of his votes go her way. So she'll be close, could even possibly win in New Hampshire. But after that, it's done. Even in her her home state of South Carolina, Donald Trump's going to win convincingly, probably at the kind of margins he did last night. And that's it. The speaker's right. It's uh, it, The nomination is over and people are ready. And it's not necessarily a dismissal of either DeSantis or or Haley. I think most Republican voters think Ron DeSantis did a good job as governor. Most think Nikki Haley did a, a reasonably good job as ambassador. What what they're they're voting for, not against, is is a guy who performed for four years at a time when most politicians uh, back away from their promises, particularly in Washington. They didn't want that. And that's why they voted for Donald Trump. Well, what happened to Governor DeSantis? I mean, he had the backing, of course, of you know, a very famous governor, and very beloved in Iowa, Kim Reynolds. And they went to 99 counties and they also knocked on 812,000 doors. But yet he only got 23,420 votes. Yeah, I, I think you're right. In a normal, you know, if Donald Trump's not in this race, DeSantis wins that clock is probably going away. But unfortunately, if you liked Ron DeSantis, you probably liked Donald Trump's policies, if not his demeanor, at least liked his policies. And, and I can't stress enough. You guys know we're Midwesterners in the Midwest in particular, but I think across the country, uh, not just primary, but swing voters have so had it with all, all these candidates who talk nice, who talk great, who say all the right thing. And they go to Washington and they totally crumble. Nobody sees Donald Trump crumbling. And I think that's where, even though in the Midwest, maybe we don't talk or tweet the way he does most of the time, or many of the times at least, in the end, we value 
what people do over what they just say. You know, you wrote this piece that we've talked to you about before uh, in advance of uh, the run-up to Iowa, talking about uh, the mistakes you think you made when you ran in 2016, sort of a caution to candidates to not become, among other things, beholden to their consultants. Um, Is that the postscript on DeSantis's presidential candidacy this time around? Did he did he not heed your advice or do you think it was something else? Oh, absolutely. I think you're, you're right on the money. I, I said uh, in any election, certainly the one I was involved in years ago, it had to be that way. But I think even more so when you've got this known commodity, a former president of the United States, whose policies have not always his tone was, was just beloved by uh, caucus and primary voters. So for DeSantis, he couldn't run uh, certainly not a traditional campaign, and he most certainly couldn't run one where it was all about what he did in Florida. Because, uh, like I said, despite the, the way many in the national media tried to peg it as one group versus the other, I, I think most, not the hardcore of any of the candidates, but most people who went to the caucus had great respect for Ron DeSantis's work as governor. Maybe second in their mind only to Kim Reynolds, again, who was with Ron DeSantis, which normally would be a big deal. But when they compare that and say, but I know what I'm getting with Donald Trump. I saw it for four years. I know he's not going to back down. I know there's absolutely nothing they can throw at him that's going to deter him. I think that's where voters are at. They're so, so hungry for that kind of leadership uh, that, you know, even if they look at somebody else and say, yeah, they're good, but but that's not enough. The other factor I think that, that really fell flat for any of the challengers is – Caucus and primary voters might have given a pause if they thought in a head-to-head with Joe Biden and Donald Trump that Donald Trump could not win. The polls showed huge margins. Of course, the polls show that that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis can win presumably by more, but they show at least in most battleground states, I think five of the six in a head-to-head, Trump trumps Biden, and I think that's all they needed to say, I'm going to stick with it. You know, Trump said at that uh, town hall before the caucus uh, that that uh, Fox hosted that he has made his decision on VP. Of course, he's if he if he has, he's not going to reveal it except on his timeline, which certainly not before Iowa. Um, but but I mean, do you uh, do you have any perspective on who you think would be a, a good compliment to Trump? Who who makes sense to sort of balance the ticket and and. Uh, add value to the to the team well before the before the caucuses really took off i i would have said it's between two governors christy Nome in south carolina and south dakota and uh, kim reynolds a lot of people don't think about her mm-hmm. maybe they do a little bit more now because of her involvement with ron DeSantis. unfortunately that may be the <clears throat> excuse me the death blow for her chances at least with donald trump but i've always felt uh, as good as ron DeSantis was in florida Kim Reynolds is equally, if not better, in Iowa. We're all neighbors, obviously, Illinois and Wisconsin. Are. She's done a fabulous job, is a bit under underrated in terms of the national press. But someone like that would do well, particularly when you got to win a couple of battleground states. Wisconsin, Michigan are going to be certainly in the fray. But someone like that, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, those are good, good picks for him. I don't know if that's who he is going to pick. Uh, remember, in 2016, nobody saw Mike Pence coming. Um, and a lot of people speculate about others. <clears throat> and Mike Pence actually endorsed Ted Cruz before the Indiana primary. So not to say that he couldn't go with Kim Reynolds, but I think it's more likely that Christy Nome or someone like that will be his pick. 
And not Nikki Haley. No chance of that. Uh, I think just the way the last uh, month or so has been built up, it makes it really tough, not just for uh, the former president, but for so many of his his backers and that. It, that would make, politically, it would make logical sense. I mean, Ronald Reagan put George Herbert Walker Bush on. George Bush was someone who ran against him, who actually won Iowa, uh, and then he redeemed himself in New, ha- New Hampshire and won after that. Bush and Reagan were not, you know, very nice to each other. They were nice to each other after they were in office, but they were their their teams were very much uh, yeah but that was a traditional wisdom is you can do that but that was i don't see that happening with that was a mistake by reagan uh it was of a guy normally revere yeah right that was a mistake so i mean you know sticking in south carolina i mean just on a little bit more on the vp so uh, what about tim scott or maybe what about um byron donalds uh in southwest florida the congressman because i tell you i mean uh, I like Tim Scott. I like Byron Donalds, too. Uh, Donalds, you know, so he's Tim Scott's in his uh, mid, late 50s. Byron Donalds in his mid 40s, I think. Byron Donalds sort of talks in a more polished fashion like Donald Trump. I mean, he just lays it out. I mean, like the other day when he said about uh, the House and the situation with this budget deal, uh, given what's happening at the border, that uh, this place is a joke, which is <laughs> which is where a lot of the American people are. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think there's I think those two guys are sort of intriguing an intriguing part of the conversation, or at least I hope they are. Oh, I think you're right, absolutely. Both both of them, Senator Scott and Byron Donald. In fact, Byron actually started speaking for us even before he became member of Congress. They're really popular at their events for Young America's Foundation with college and high school now middle school kids but the so i think they i think you're right i think they'd be intriguing they would shake things up they would certainly open up uh not only uh amongst black voters but i think americans in general would be impressed and intrigued by that i, I think conventional wisdom suggests that with kamala harris on the ticket he probably presumably under the old system would would, would have to almost put a woman on but there's nothing conventional about Donald Trump so right. I, I wouldn't write any of these choices off what about dr. Ben Carson oh I think and Ben Ben's a good example as has Byron Donald of people who've gone out and aggressively campaigned with the president he likes that uh, I don't think it should be lost on the big to do that Governor Christine Dome did. Uh, in South Dakota, when she endorsed uh, the president earlier this last year, um, I think all those things certainly show up on the radar. But again, who knows? Uh, Mike Pence, it was a very uh, weak endorsement uh, of Ted Cruz back in 2016. He, so he didn't he didn't beat up Donald Trump. He actually, I remember at the time, actually said more nice things about Donald Trump than he said uh, about Ted Cruz. But he officially endorsed Ted Cruz. So it's possible you could pick someone who was with one of the other candidates. But even there, in that instance, uh, I remember the, the then-candidate Trump actually made a note of saying just what I said, which was, yeah, you know, he endorsed Ted Cruz, but he really liked me. He knew I was the right guy. He knew my business background make a difference. I think it's tougher probably for Kim Reynolds now uh, just because of uh, how far out she was with DeSantis. But again, it's anybody's guess, and it could be somebody none of us are talking about right now, which would not be unlike uh, our former president. Just talking about uh, battleground states, since um, 
the state of cheese and Jordan Love, from which you hail as one of them. Uh, <laughs> I was very generous not bringing it up. <laughs> no, it's all right. No, we want I, you to do I, well. I, I'm a fan of Jordan Love too. I think he's I think he's fantastic. But all anyway, we need is love. Yes, but but so the, is there something interesting going on that people haven't taken notice of? I don't think because there's so much focus on, understandably, on the border and on inflation. But in those battleground states, North Carolina, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, which arguably could be the four states that determine the outcome, school choice is a huge issue. In every one of those states, school choice is a big issue. Um, Tony Evers and the Democrats in Wisconsin have gotten back down on going after school choice. Uh, Katie Hobbs is not gotten back down, and she may have just opened up a hornet, kicked a hornet's nest. Uh, North Carolina, the governor there, Cooper, had to reverse uh, on school choice a little bit, got overridden by the legislature. Brian Kemp is doing a mulligan on school choice right now. Um, I know you were a huge proponent. You expanded school choice when you were governor of Wisconsin and and Wisconsin, Milwaukee, the, the, you know, sort of epicenter of school choice, the start of it 30 years ago. You know, is is that an issue, K through 12 education, even though the federal government has a really a tangential role in it? that uh, really could be nationalized because of what's going on in those battleground states, do you think? Absolutely. Battleground states combined with it was growing in its importance before, but COVID has elevated as it has with education reform overall, that parents who could see what was happening or not happening in some cases want to move their kids out of all different income levels, uh, whether it was homeschool or private school. And so you see a huge twist on that. And remember, when you're talking about battleground states, Years ago, Florida was one of those battleground states. Yeah. I mean, it was at Bush Gore. I mean, it was the battleground state. Um, in the first election for DeSantis, he ran against the then mayor of Miami. And um, it was largely because of school choice, even though he was running against a black candidate, that black women whose children were in choice schools overwhelmingly voted for DeSantis because they were worried about their their children not being able to participate in those programs that people like Jeb Bush and others had set up in the future. Now, Florida is a locked-in red state, I think, in large part because of that, that that voters saw the success, they saw the benefit, and they didn't want anybody messing with that. And, And hopefully that's the case in the states you mentioned. He is former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, now the president and CEO of the Young America's Foundation. Governor Walker, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Have a good one. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. That sonar sound means Frank from Arlington Heights is upon us. It's time for another installment of In-Depth with Frank from Arlington Heights. In-Depth history, that is, with Frank from Arlington Heights, because there's nothing new in this world, only the history we don't know. Frank, take it away. Good morning. With black Americans in our early republic having suffered horribly under the peculiar institution of slavery, once the ratification of the 13th Amendment happened in 1866, there was a glimmer of hope that they, too, might be able to take part in the Lockean social contract, which they had always been left out of. Yet despite the new birth of freedom that the Union victory in the Civil War led to, and the best efforts of Representative Thaddeus Stevens, Senator Charles Sumner, Frederick Douglass, and others during Reconstruction, Resurgent Democrat-led governments in the South reestablished what was known as home rule in the 1870s and inflicted the Jim Crow system of de jure discrimination in the old Confederacy. 
several prominent black leaders, including Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois, tried to overcome this new feudalism, but the solid South was not seriously threatened until Martin Luther King Jr. took leadership of the civil rights movement in 1955 and applied Mahatma Gandhi's method of satyagraha, or insistence on the truth, through nonviolent civil disobedience to face down authorities imposing unjust laws. And in the emerging media age of the post-war era, this strategy worked in spades, as the barbarity of the Southern system was exposed on the nightly news and was then largely broken, at least politically, by 1965. Thankfully today, the South is no longer solid, and our country and all of our people are better off for it. Very good, Frank, on this, uh, you know, day after Martin Luther King Day. It's very timely, and uh, you also uh, sort of... um, insinuate uh, the legacy of the Democrat Party that is not oft discussed that since we were talking school choice with Scott Walker, it was the Democrats like Oral Faubus, the governor of Arkansas, standing at the schoolhouse doors, preventing the Little Rock Nine from integrating after the Brown v. Board of Education decision. So, yes, uh, more history the Democrats wish we didn't know. Yes, this sordid history should be the Democratic Party's millstone. That's what it should be. Theodore Bilbo, Senator from Mississippi, Democrat. Ed Cotton-Smith, Senator from South Carolina, Democrat. You mentioned Orbel Faubus. There are many others. Yeah. Thanks so much, Frank, as always. Appreciate it. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So as we discussed yesterday, over the weekend, Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis took to the pulpit to defend herself without getting too specific about the assertions that have been made in court filings that she um, committed at least an ethical breach in appointing a special prosecutor in the Trump racketeering case who is a romantic partner of hers. And, of course, she's overseeing his spend, if you will, and signing off on payments made to to him. So this is very interesting choice that she made. And uh, I have a theory about why she chose to do what she did. But first, a snippet of what she said. You cannot expect black women to be perfect and save the world. The Lord is completing us. We are not perfect. We need your prayers. We need to be allowed to stumble. We need grace. With that kind of support, we will move mountains and do Jesus' will. Stumbling all the way. So his flawed, hard-headed, and imperfect child has a message for each of you today. Please find a way to do your extraordinary, God-given assignment and make this community and the world a better place for all of his people. Mm -hmm. She stumbled. We all stumble. Um, The uh, message, I think, getting out front of this 
is not to those congregants at the church. The message is to the court. She's playing the race card, the race victim card. Don't, you know, be careful about how you handle any challenge to uh, my oversight of this prosecution against Trump and associates. Don't even think about sidelining me or I'll put this place up for grabs by playing the race card. Yeah, you're right. I mean, she she should have known better to keep her nose clean. She hired a personal injury attorney to prosecute President Trump and she was having an affair with him and paying him a half million dollars in taxpayer money. Well, that's Uh, this is uh, a theory on on the politics of it. But let's get some review on the law of it, as well as the various other legal wranglings happening concurrently. Andy McCarthy is former chief assistant U.S. attorney, uh, Southern District of uh, New York, Manhattan, contributing international review and author of the bestseller Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andy, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. What did you think of uh, Fonnie Willis's performance? I think that, you know, sometimes they try to, um, like, ring a bell that uh, is past its time. I, I just think that um, I think the public is really tired of the, uh, you know, everything is about racism. Um, <laughs> it's pretty obvious if uh, if she's not denying what she's been accused of. Right. I read that motion, which is uh, is is pretty lengthy, but it's interesting reading. Uh, and it sounds like they have a lot of backup evidence to support the allegations that were made. And I just think, you know, that most of the country is not going to want to hear this. It's actually going to it's going to play to Trump's benefit to a fairly well. And I think the more basic thing, Dan, is that, you know, it, a lot of this would be um, – Maybe water under the bridge, and they could just bring somebody else in to fix it if the product was a good product. But mm-hmm. the problem is the case is awful. You mm-hmm. know, the case is a mess. Um, it's not a RICO. It's not a conspiracy. The only thing these 19 people ever did together was get indicted. Um, usually the, um, the, the first few people who plead guilty and say they'll cooperate with the investigation, what a, what a competent prosecutor makes them do is you plead guilty to the main charge, which here would be the RICO, and you say, yes, there was a RICO conspiracy. I was in it. President Trump was in it. Here's what I did. Here's what he did. Instead, she pled these people out to a song. They're not pleading. Some of them aren't even pleading guilty to, to the counts in the indictment. They had to make up new stuff for them to plead guilty to. They're all um, nonsense pleas with no jail time, which is hardly what you would expect for a racketeering conspiracy that had our democracy hanging by a thread. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of you know, it's not being treated like a normal case. But the reason is because it's not a normal case. It's completely incoherent. It's not a crime to try to change the result of an election. Like there's no statute that says illegally trying to change the result of an election. So in criminal law, you have to, for a conspiracy to be valid, it's got to be a conspiracy to violate a criminal statute. She doesn't have that, so she's tried to paper it over with RICO. And the thing is, a RICO conspiracy, the crime is to be a member of an organization 
that is trying to continue on in time and space in order to generate income and the like. Here, this this thing wasn't even an organization. These 19 people didn't regard themselves as belonging to something like, you know, if you're in the Gambino family, you want to belong to the Gambino family, right? You want to keep the, the existence of the Gambino family to continue. That's what racketeering law is about. This group, they didn't even see themselves as a group. And no matter what happened in terms of the election, on January 20th of 2021, it was going to be over no matter what. So that's not a RICO. That's not a racketeering organization. So the case is a mess. That's the bigger problem she has. Well, so, well, so but, but, on, but, on fan, but on but on Fawny Willis, what would be an a, appropriate adjudication of the motion that was filed against her? Well, I think at a minimum, you know, she's already been disqualified from uh, prosecuting one of the defendants in the investigation. So her ethical, this is not her first rodeo as far as uh, ethical lapses is concerned. The one thing she said at that, uh, you know, in that uh, in that church the other day was, you know, she said she's a very flawed person. I think we can all agree with that. Um, <laughs> the court has already found that to be the case with respect to at least one uh, of the defendants. So I think, you know, if she were, it, the smart thing for her to do, I think, would be to step aside um, she won't, but that would be the thing to do. Legally, the question is, you know, she apparently she hired this guy, Nathan Wade, um, by misrepresenting. This is the allegation, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, she misrepresented that she needed money to address the COVID backlog in the office. You know, the backlog of cases that grew up over the pandemic. And she tapped into that money to hire this guy who she's apparently paying. Like, she pays him more than she makes herself, and she's the boss of, of the office, right? She's paid him, like, $700,000 or something in the last uh, two years. And then, you know, the allegation is she derives benefit of that because they go off on trips together right. and the like. But for the case, the more important thing is she apparently didn't tell Fulton County that she was bringing him on as a special counsel, which she's required by law to do. And then he didn't file his oath of office with the court before he began acting on the case, which he's required by law to do. So the question is, is the inception of the case um, injected with illegality such such that you can argue that the indictment is insufficient or the indictment is uh, infirm? Um, that's a that's a tough road to hoe, but that's that's where they're trying to go with this. He's a personal injury attorney. He's never prosecuted anyone. I mean, and, and why did it take right. so long for that to come, you know, bubble up to the surface? Well, I, I think it's because no one raised it until this defendant raised it. And from what I gathered, Amy, reading the the motion, um, it took a lot of work. I mean, like for example, this divorce file that the defendant went into to get a lot of this information. Um, I think they were on to the fact that um, people were starting to snoop around there. So somehow, and this is very curious under the law of of Georgia, they managed to get that thing sealed. So then there was a big to do over whether you, whether it was okay to use the information from it that they, that they had already gotten or not. So I think it was a lot of investigative work to get this information. And then there was some, 
sort of legal landmines about going public with it. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that always happens in these cases is if you're in a 19 defendant case and you see the prosecutor is giving away the store, even to top people who've been labeled as top defendants in the case, like Sidney Powell, you know, she gets a, you know, a slap on the wrist. You don't want to poke the bear with the prosecutor if you think, you know, maybe I can get one of those deals. So there's probably some hesitancy about raising it for that reason as well. Um, but, you know, you're right. There's explosive information in there. Uh, one of the other Trump trials. So the arguments before the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals last week on presidential immunity. Um did Trump's lawyer make a mistake by indulging uh, Judge Pan's hypothetical about ordering the assassination of a political opponent, which, of course, became the headline? Oh, uh, Trump's lawyer argues that he could uh, uh, order the assassination of a political opponent. And unless he was impeached and convicted of in, uh, impeached and convicted in that political process, he couldn't be prosecuted for ordering a murder. Um the the argument i mean so so there's there's that actual argument about is that a fair reading of uh presidential privilege number 1 number 2 is um would it have been a more judicious for his attorney to say well well he's not charged with anything like that so i'm not we don't have to go into these uh, absurd incendiary hypotheticals let's look at what he's actually been charged with and see how that comports well, the thing is, you know, I think he should have been better prepared for this because it was in the government's brief. Judge uh, Judge Pan just basically um, what I think what the government's brief talked about was an assassination ordered uh, that he ordered the uh, National Guard to uh, carry out. And she has more of a uh, flair for the dramatic. So she changed it to SEAL Team Six, which sounds yeah. like something they should make a movie out of. Right. But. You know, you, you got to um, when you know that that's where they're coming, you have to be prepared for that. And you don't get to tell the judge, uh, no, I don't need to answer that because, like, let's talk about what the, the charges are here, because the judge can demand an answer to her question. So you have to be prepared with that. Um, and the, the fact of the matter is, this is what appellate argument is about. That what they try to do is take the logic of your position and put it in the worst case scenario that you would have to defend. And I think he should have been prepared forthrightly to say, um, yes, it's an, it's an absurd example because it assumes that uh, the greatest armed forces in the history of the world would carry out an illegal act like that. And it assumes that even though we've gone through a quarter of a millennium without anything like that happening, that that's suddenly going to start happening again. But yes, um, it, if it's his official act, uh, he has immunity for it, and he's subject to impeachment by Congress but not prosecution by the federal government. And the fact is, we have a lot of rules that apply to all situations, and most of the time there's no problem with it. Like, for example, attorney-client privilege, or priest-penitent privilege, or spousal privilege. But every now and then, I'm going to commit a gruesome murder where the only witness is my wife, or the only way the prosecutor can make the case is by subpoenaing my lawyer or subpoenaing my priest. Should we get rid of all those privileges because we have a terrible result in one case? Of course mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the way that you, you, you have to be prepared with your own um, parade of horribles to, to answer that. Um, the fact is the powers of the presidency are awesome. 
So if a president abuses his power, it could have terrible, terrible results. And in any individual case, such as like Bill Clinton selling a pardon to Mark Rich, every now and then you're going to get a situation where a president is beyond being impeached because he's already served two terms, he's out of office, uh, and the, the power that he used is an unquestioned power of the presidency, as the pardon power is. Every now and then you're going to have a situation where a president is beyond being prosecuted and beyond being impeached. That doesn't mean that we – the answer to that is to make every presidential action subject to post facto investigation and criminal prosecution by the prosecutors of the next party that comes into office because we have a lot more evidence of rogue prosecutors using their powers in a political way than we have of presidents ordering murders. Do you expect uh, that's where the Supreme Court will come down on this once uh, the D.C. Court of Appeals rules against Trump and they take it up to the high court? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, if they were going to use the logic of the case against Nixon in the 80s where they said no civil lawsuits against the president for official acts, then I think it would make sense to have the same rule for criminal prosecution because unlike the 1980s, we now no longer have a norm against politicized prosecution, so all presidents will have to worry about it. But on the other hand, this Supreme Court pays a lot more attention to the text of the Constitution and the original intent of it. There is nothing in the Constitution supporting presidential immunity. That, that court, the Supreme Court in the early 1980s when they gave it to Nixon, they basically made it up. You know, those were the days when we had pretty freewheeling judicial policymaking on the Supreme Court. But after Justice Scalia's career became a lot more important what the text says and what the original intent was. And I wish there was immunity in the Constitution, but I don't see it. Uh, I wanted to get your take on the other side, too. I mean, the after the spectacle of Hunter Biden showing up to that House Oversight Committee hearing, and now we have more information coming out about the testimony behind closed doors that was provided by Hunter Biden's art dealer, George Burgess, who um, has, uh, here we go again, undermined the story we've been told by the first family. One, Hunter Biden did know the identity of 70% of the buyers of his blow art. In point of fact, uh, Burgess said it was unusual. Most artists do not have that in their contract. They know the identity of people who buy their art. And Hunter Biden made it a point to know that the only guy that he represented, this Burgess art dealer dude, uh, the only guy he represented that had such a provision in his contract. Number two, Joe Biden was talking to this art dealer that was oh. repping Hunter Biden. We now know Joe Biden called him. Uh, Joe Biden called him when his uh, daughter graduated from some camp to congratulate him. So here again, um, uh, Hunter Biden makes a friend who's pitching his blow art to Dem donors for obscene prices. And all of a sudden, Joe's involved, too, making a new friend. 
So the Bidens are involved in the sleazy financial arrangement? <laughs> I know. Shocker. Knock me over. No, I know. But I mean, just in terms of, you know, the, the, the because there's there's a question about whether it's judicious politically. This is a political process, as you always make the point about impeachment. Is it politically judicious to go after Joe Biden? Is this warranted? Does the evidence uh, lead one, you know, applying a reasonable man standard to say this person um, has committed high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, are we getting closer? Well, I, I, I think that if you're going to do this, the most outrageous thing that Biden has done is the border. That's the most indefensible thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this, is a, this, is, this comes up um, as a close second when you're talking about overall corruption and cashing in on political uh, influence, particularly with anti-American and corrupt regimes. But I think if you want to get the public to buy into this, you, you have to hit them with something that's affecting every everyone in the country. And Biden's com- complete collapse of border enforcement with the with the result that you have thousands and thousands, millions of uh, people illegally in the country who are overwhelming the ability of, uh, of, of cities and states across the country to to deal with them. That's the big issue, and I don't think they're going to get any – you know, if they're going to do an impeachment effort, that has to be in the front. It can't be about Mayorkas. I mean, they, you want to impeach Mayorkas, fine, but Mayorkas is just carrying out Biden's policy. So, you know, I, it just doesn't make sense to me to do an impeachment where you know that the Senate is not going to convict anyway, but why not at least lead with your best stuff? And have this be the strong second that argues that this guy is just completely corrupt from beginning to end. Hmm. Andy McCarthy is a former chief assistant U.S. attorney, Southern District of New York. That's Manhattan. Contributing at our National Review, author of the bestseller Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andy, thank you as always. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank, gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois. But you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan. To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when. You're moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That uh, theme music means it's time for our weekly confab with Ted Dabrowski from Wirepoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Before we get to Ted, this uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, why no one goes out to eat in D.C. anymore? (laughs) A couple of eggheads at the Employment Policies Institute penned this, talking about uh, high-profile restaurateurs who shuttered their Restaurants, longtime restaurants, Staples in D.C. Um, for uh, for example, the owners of Pursuit, which has been there for a decade, Brine. Um, 
the uh, restaurateur saying uh, combined effects of the pandemic, sputtering economy, spike in violent crime made it impossible to survive. Homicides in D.C. were up 35 percent last yeah. year. And carjackings and robberies. Car thefts up 82 percent. 82 percent. They even what didn't they try to uh, carjack Biden's granddaughter's motorcade? Uh, yeah, Remember when that? she was she was not in the car, right, but you're but right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Secret Service were in there, and they try to carjack them. That's nice. The uh, owner, uh, the owner T- Ted Leonassis, uh, who is the uh, owner of the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals, the NBA and NHL teams, announced last month uh, leaving D.C. for Alexandria, Virginia. Things got so bad around the Capital One Arena in Chinatown in D.C that um, the owner was forced to hire off-duty police to keep visitors uh, to the arena safe. And then there's this, too, just in terms of the obvious parallels. Uh, uh, A year and a half ago, voters in D.C. approved a ballot measure to triple the base wage for tipped restaurant workers. There you have it. Something that uh, BLM Brandon touted as an accomplishment. Mm Mm-hmm. So what happened since they passed that uh, initiative in late 2022, November 2022, of course? Full service restaurant employment in Washington grew 17% in the year before the tipping changes took effect. Since the initiative came into effect, normalizing tipped wages with minimum wage, which is what we've done in Chicago, employment has fallen 4%. It was up 17% the year before, down 4%. An April survey published by this Employment Policies Institute of more than 100 local restaurants in D.C. found most plan to lay off workers. Half plan to expand into lower-cost states, such as Maryland or Virginia, and nearly one in three plan to close locations in D.C. And on and on and on. And what did we get from BLM Brandon? In that uh, extended sit-down he did with CBS News where he wouldn't answer the question whether or not he would increase taxes to provide the resources necessary to um, house and feed and clothe the flow of migrants coming in, thanks to his policies and, of course, Governor Jellybelly's too. Here's, here's what he said about what's happening in the city under his visionary leadership. Just know as mayor of the city of Chicago, I'm going to concentrate on those neighborhoods and people are very clear whether again, North Lawndale, Garfield Park, uh, Austin, where I'm raising my family, um, Roseland, Inglewood, the disinvestment that has taken place historically in this city that has really been very harsh on black and brown families in particular, I'm hyper-focused on investing in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, on the public safety piece, it's working. When is it going to get safer? It's already happening. Yeah, sure, um, violence in the city of Chicago. Homicides are down. Oh, yeah. Shootings are down. Oh. Over the course of the last couple of months uh, of 2023, um, um, you also had a reduction in carjackings as well as robberies. So the strategies that we have put in place thus far, we're already seeing a return on that. And we're going to double down on our efforts to ensure that a better, stronger, safer Chicago mm-hmm. um, can actually be realized. I'll tell you what. Um, Better, stronger, safer Chicago. He can't go through any interview without saying that. But yes, those th- those statements are music to the ears of Northwest Indiana. That means a lot of uh, talented restaurateurs and talented people from a lot of walks of life will be continuing to move there, just like uh, D.C. residents move to 
Northern Virginia. But for, he's lying to us. The armed robberies oh, really? are 26%. Uh, for more on all this, Ted Dabrowski, wirepoints.org. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, I, I love uh, Brandon Johnson's optimism. All is good. Uh, we're headed in the right direction. Uh, you know you know what's, I think, interesting about all this right now is uh, we have a new legislative session starting today uh, down in Springfield. And, uh, you know, while, while we should be pessimistic as we normally are about what's going to come out of there, this is probably the best the best moment for the opposition to actually like organize itself. You've got the, the migrant issue that's created a huge mess. Education, as we've been reporting on it, is, is a disaster with the uh, with most kids not being able to read. And then you've got the crime issue. So it's a, it's a really good time to mount an opposition. Uh, yeah, that, now the sad part is, is anybody there to grab it? But uh, it is a really good time, given the mess that they are making of, of you know, not just Chicago, of course, but D.C. and then other places. Well, um, right. Although, uh, again, where does the pushback come from other than this show, your outlet, John Cass, Jeannie Ives? Where does the pushback uh, come to statements like you just heard from Brandon Johnson, number one? I mean, everything you said is totally untrue. The problem on the south and west sides is the lack of government spend. The uh, situation with respect to violence in Chicago is... uh, uh, on the upswing, things are getting more safer with each passing day because these unnamed strategies he's pursuing, like uh, t- sprinkling the infield of uh, violence interrupters with uh, city cash, with is money. working. Yeah. And there's and there's just no evidentiary support for either one of those statements. No, no, you're right. It's you know, where, where does the uh, where does the actual opposition come from? We're still looking for that. I think um, you know we'll we'll keep saying the same thing we've been saying, right? You know, it's, it's got to get bad enough till enough people complain and you know we've seen some of that on the, for sure we've seen some of that on the immigration side i don't think we see enough of it on the crime side or the education side um but you know it was it was good to see that reporter push back on on uh johnson and uh, not let johnson do his typical thing where he says a lot of uh awards out she she pressed him three times and didn't never got the proper answer but she pressed and i i was impressed with that well he also said no one ever asked me if i was going to raise taxes are you kidding me during the campaign people asked him that all the time. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, he can't answer that because he's hoping for federal money, right? He's hoping for maybe more Pritzker money, where he doesn't have to actually raise the taxes. But uh, you know, he's going to run out of options, I think, unless unless somebody steps up from outside, and he's going to for- be forced to raise taxes. And of course, he's already doing that with the, the so-called mansion tax, which is which is not a mansion tax. It's a it's a tax on all kinds of buildings in Chicago that would, uh, of course, result in in higher rents uh, and and of and you know, presumably be money for homelessness, which would be probably a lot of uh, migrants, which would pick off a lot of people that the money's flowing to the migrants again. All right. So we have another day of no school because of the cold. The suburban schools are doing Zoom, but we can't do that here in Chicago because mm, 70,000 computers are missing. There's 30 schools that those computers were never returned from remote learning. But you wrote a piece that that's not what we should be concerned about. We should be concerned about something else. Yeah, I mean, I think you know if, if if you if you're still defending CPS, somebody if somebody's still defending CPS, there's so much negative uh, news on on the system. It's it's a, it's a it's an absolute failure across the board. But if you're still holding hope, then things like this recent uh, Inspector General report point to a lot of problems, right? Just missing laptops, twenty three million dollars of missing laptops, and all kinds of money being you know, pilfered here and there. Uh, and but then I think the bigger news is is of course the sexual abuse that just doesn't get really covered. 
aside from that great Betrayed series uh, in 2018 by, by the Chicago Tribune, we haven't seen the kind of pressure that CPS needs to, to end sexual abuse. And when you see a place that, that has no oversight, no controls, no accountability, um, you know, and if it can't keep up with things like laptops, it certainly can't keep up with sexual abuse, which is much harder to track now, given all the technology and all the you know, texting and videos and, and all kinds of stuff that can be used for grooming that's hard to find. And if you're not looking for it, you're not, if you're not obsessed with looking for it, it's going to happen right under your nose. And that's what's happening at CPS. Well, there's good news because uh, you mentioned the General Assembly is back in session. Hooray. The, uh, they're uh, uh, going to discuss uh, how this uh, Chicago Public School Board will be uh, installed on a go-forward basis. You know, the school board elections, that's the, that's the panacea. Yeah, that, that'll fix it. You know, it's, it's going to have us debating all kinds of stuff about things that are not important because school board, elected school board, or not, not elected school board, nothing will really change. Things might change at the margin and maybe for the worse instead of for the better. But, um, you know, they'll never address the real issues that, that we've talked about here where, you know, 80, 80 out of 100 kids can't read. Uh, and and the sexual abuse that goes on, the, the, the stealing of property, the uh, the costs, you know, that are now thirty thousand. They'll never address that. They'll push for more of of, uh, of all that. So, um, yeah, good luck. Hey, uh, just since you're a resident of the North Shore, there, we saw some stories about uh, migrants uh, outside of uh, Plaza del Lago, panhandling and so on and so forth. And uh, just wondering um, how your neighbors are doing. I mean, you're you know, no person is illegal neighbors hate has no home here so how how are they how are they coping with the uh, arrival of um, new friends are they being properly welcoming like i would expect from a a wilmat or a glencoe well they might be you know what we have is um some of them are coming up on metro and i've spoken to quite a few of them they just come up on metro they come and, and uh, hang out by the jewel or by the um, whole foods and uh you know i, I asked them why they come up here and they it's cra- you know, It's more competition down in the city, so they come out here, are looking for jobs, and uh, and I think they also find people that will, will you know will give them you know ten twenty bucks as they go into the into the grocery store. So, um, but overall, you know, there's there's no way you know, we'll met will 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 play the game and say all the right things, but uh, you know they they've been they've been very quick to just put put the, any migrants that come here on buses right on the right on the metro or uh, you know get them back into town. So. Well, I'll tell you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you deploy the, uh, uh, the wire points caravan to pick them up from the Metra and, uh, deliver them over to the front gates of Byron Trot's house. And, um, I'm sure he's got, uh, work for them to do. I'm sure he's got enough rooms for them to stay in, you know, I mean, what about, what about helping people as we talk about often on this, uh, station on this show, what about helping people live the values there? So boisterous about yeah um what, what can i say dan i, I it's not going to happen obviously right uh, they're going to they're going to put out all the signs and all that but but the real help's not going to be there so ted dabrowski hey, Pres- hey, no go ahead dan, i'm sorry, sorry can, I, can i mention one important thing on, on school choice it's national school choice week next week and we're having uh, ian rowe ian rowe is is from uh he's, he's started a, a charter school in the bronx yes and he fought the unions in nyc and got it done and uh, we're going to bring him here to town, Nutria Neighbors, uh, on, on January 22nd. Ian's going to be here, and he's going to tell us how he did that 
you know, we're in a we're in a city in a state where we're destroying school choice and selective enrollment schools. But he has had success in inviting the unions and creating more opportunities uh, for for parents in in the Bronx. So um, we're going to have him here. So whoever wants to come out and see him speak at the Loyola Academy, six thirty on Monday. All right, very good. We're actually having Ian Rowe on the show on Thursday to preview that Monday event, so we'll be talking to him more about that. Ted Dabrowski, president of wirepoints.org. Thanks, as always, Ted. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Oh, boy. Uh, We started uh, addressing this. uh, Well, we've been addressing it for a couple of years now in terms of where uh, DEI orthodoxy actually imperils, could imperil people's lives when you're making decisions, hiring decisions, uh, promotion decisions based on somebody's identity rather than their competence or their ability, you can run into problems. We uh, brought you the um, subcontractor to Boeing on the 737 MAX 9 with that door assembly and that Alaska Airlines flight that uh, ejected. And their focus on die diversity, inclusion, equity, um, per their own CEO, with statements they made, we don't know. We don't know if that has a direct impact yet. I think the whole matter of that Alaska Airlines flight is still under investigation. But, I mean, it's uh, getting a little weird. Yeah, it's getting a little uncomfortable. The FAA is actively recruiting workers who suffer, quote, severe intellectual disabilities, psychiatric problems, and other mental and physical conditions under a diversity inclusion hiring initiative that's spelled out on its website. Here's from the FAA's website. Targeted disabilities are those disabilities that the federal government, as a matter of policy, has identified for special emphasis in recruitment and hiring. They include hearing, vision, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and dwarfism. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know who to be more frightened by, these uh, carriers and their leadership or the leadership of the Department of Transportation under PBUT and uh, the FAA under uh, his watch as well. The FAA obviously housed within the Department of Transportation. Right. I mean, look, I'm friends you know, with the CEO of Boeing. They're all in bed together. This is not to ridicule anybody, but 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 I mean, just to be practical. Targeted disabilities for FAA recruitment. Hearing, vision. Missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and dwarfism. Um, you want your air traffic controller having suicidal ideation? I mean, I, you know, I don't know the expanse or if there are specific positions and so on and so forth. But, I mean, you understand the mindlessness of this all. And, by the way, I think mindlessness is also one of those targeted groups for 
hiring. Stop it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. So let me introduce you on the carrier side to United CEO Scott Kirby, who gave this interview with Axios a couple of years ago about uh, die focus at United Airlines that has now making the rhymes again as we're focusing on these die policies, thanks in large part to what's happened at the universities. Um, here's Scott Kirby on the importance of die in running a major airline. Military. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviator Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. White males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America. Correct me if I'm saying, though, so I, this is just based off your website, the people you list as executives, but out of 11 people, three are women. I believe one is a person of color. Um, that's correct. Um, but, you know, in corporate America, I think, you know. That's a low bar. How do you yeah. raise your own bar? Well, a lot of this is, you know, focusing on it. We have uh, programs to one of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process, bringing people in early in their careers um, as well uh, and giving them those opportunities uh, and creating a stronger bench. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the other ways that we do it, apparently, is um, the CEO, that's me, Scott Kirby, Dresses up like a woman. Well, yeah. The uh, uh, lib. What do you mean? No, I mean he does. Like, well, libs of TikTok has pictures that they allege are Scott Kirby dressing in drag at events sponsored by the company. Right, and then also on Halloween, where he dressed up as Tennille and his wife dressed up as the captain. Uh huh. Anytime you get a dress on. Weird. There's Pride Month at United Airlines, and he's uh, uh, he's behaving well. He's 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 a transvestite. I mean, if this is him, and I'm going by what Libs of TikTok has uh, substantiated and it's been picked up by Post Millennial and some other sites, if this is him, then that's what he is. Wow. No, so that's that's a, definitely expanding the diversity. Hey, by by the way, uh, hey Scott, fifty percent, you know that. Uh, the dink who was interviewing him from Axios. Oh, you know, it's not only 90%, 50%, 50% women of color, women or, or people of color. Why 50? Why not 75? Why not why 45? Not why not Why not 45? Why not 32? How did you come to 50? Well, Dan, I'm all about equal rights for women. I got that. But I want the best qualified person to be hired to fly the plane that Americans are on rather than DEI. I mean, race-based hiring is problematic when you get into, you know, lives are at stake here. Maya Tellman is a man pretending to be a woman who's a pilot and runs a newly formed DEIB committee for United. Uh, uh, Please update your your Newspeak dictionaries. DEEB. It's no longer DEI. It's DEEB. Can I ask what the D stands for? No, you may not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, of course. Of course, we want to enlighten diversity, yes, equity, equity, inclusion, and 
Full jive. No. And. <laughs> and bisexuals? Belonging. Oh, belong. Belonging. I'm uh, the vice chairman of the belonging committee at AM 560. Oh. As it turns out. Oh, yeah. that's a congratulations. I forgot to. Yeah. Thank give you. Give you kudos on that new offense. Excuse me. I think I said chairman. I apologize for that. Chairperson. Uh, offense. Yeah, chairhuman. I'm going to take your job from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, more about belonging than you. Um, the focus on, I mean, you know, this is this is somewhat uh, less important, but I think it's still relevant. Um, Cigna. Here's ma- the employee training at Cigna, which is one of the largest health insurance companies in the country. Uh, race is a social construct invented to marginalize black people and perpetuate racism. And uh, there are many genders. And they don't even like using the word preferred pronouns because it implies there's a preference or that we may have a choice when it comes to gender identity. When it's not a choice at all, it's who we are. Oh it's from God. Cigna, HR department, and by extension, the training they do for their employees. Largest health insurer, one of the largest carriers, uh, the FAA, <laughs> responsible for safety in our skies. Uh-huh. By the way... Um, also, Boeing, Boeing's executive uh, uh, incentive structure, so executive comp structure for bonuses, is not um, focused on shareholder value or performance. It's focused on meeting die targets, arbitrary die targets like uh, that transvestite Scott Kirby. Okay. Well, apparently he's a transvestite. He's married. They live in the Gold Coast. He has seven children. Is he a transvestite or not? Well, he likes to dress up and dress. I mean, that's literally the word, you know, trans or crossover. That's Latin. Vestitus, which is to dress. He's a transvestite. He dresses like a woman. Is that, I mean, it's just descriptive. I don't know why people, there's like gasping and, uh, well, I, I don't know. If you do, it's one thing to do it for a Halloween gag. It's another thing to do it with a bunch of other men pretending to be women at a corporate event, don't you think? Or am I an old fuddy-duddy? Have I, have I lost my grip on the times? Am I not hip and cool and with it if I'm not uh, extolling the virtues of Scott Kirby's cross-dressing? Is that it? Boeing's doing the same. I mean, I was just saying, so Boeing's not doing the same. Incentives for these arbitrary die categories, not to mention the oppression of the Die training that goes on. Die training. Mandatory die indoctrination. Nod your heads. Shake your heads when we tell you to nod or shake. You better. Got a great text message. Dan and Amy, this is why I no longer fly. Diversity is more important than the safety of your customers. I'll tell you what. um, Yeah, I'm either going to have to start flying myself or I'm going to have to get John Madden's van or uh, bus, I should say, tour bus the way this is going. What in God's name? Uh, Matt in Oaklawn. Where's the pinball wizard when you need him? hi Thanks for the call, Matt. Uh, let's see. What, what is it? Isn't it Fly the Friendly Skies? Is that United? Yes. And hmm. they might move their headquarters to Denver. I think it's Unzip Your Fly okay. in the Friendly Skies. Okay. <laughs> uh, Nick, Northwest Side. Yeah, thank you. Um, Hello to both of you. Uh, about two years ago, I believe it was, there was a 
co-pilot of a German plane who had serious psychological and even psychiatric type problems yep. where he, uh, when the pilot went out of the cabin for something, maybe to the washroom, somebody locked the door then right away. Uh, and, and the doors now are made as strong as you can. And so he took, because he had tendencies towards suicide, he, he dove the plane into the uh, side of a mountain. Now, the laws in Germany are very strict. I lived and worked there for a year and a half in the early 70s. Uh, they're, they're really beautiful as far as a working person feeling good about earning an honest living. Uh, but something has to be compromised between protecting somebody like that individual versus protecting the public. And here in, in our country, we got all these people who want to openly allow all kinds of people to get into all kinds of positions. And uh, somehow, some way, you know, uh, the the left here of the Democratic Party has to be able to be restrained a little and say, look, yeah, we can allow certain people to do certain jobs uh, where, uh, you know, they, physically or mentally they can fit in somewhere, but they can't be just allowed to do any job. That's just my opinion. Okay, and I, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Nick. It's good to bring up that German wings flight uh, because not only did he have suicidal tendencies that he was treated for, he was declared unfit to work by his doctor. Well, um, with the FAA's new die focus, that is not a uh, disqualification. It's a qualification to be hired under their die policy, apparently. When a plane load of people, Dan and Amy, die because of DEI, these videos are going to make for great evidence in court during the lawsuits. Uh, Jan in Crown Point. Hi, Jan. Jan, are you there? Hello, Jan. Jan is not there. All right. Grant in Rockford. Good morning, you two. You know, coming off the heels of uh, Martin Luther King Day, I guess you can put me in the old fuddy-duddy category, Dan. I, I, I'm i only 35, but I remember being taught, you know, content of character, not color of skin, and now not what hangs between your legs. Um, it's just, it, it's going to cost lives. And, you know, people are waking up. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard dan i know you kind of like hip-hop there's a rapper out there tom mcdonald he's a white guy yeah, don't look we played at his it. stuff here yeah mm-hmm. he's hard he's hard to look at but his his new song racism that's out it's it hits the nail on the head uh if you yeah. haven't heard it i would I, i'd recommend listening to it but uh, have a good day guys stay warm yeah he's okay yeah we played a couple of his uh, raps he's, he's okay um, yeah, no, it's not content of character anymore. It's color of dress. Oh. Yeah. Uh, John in Bridgeport. All right, real quick. You don't need to look nationwide or worldwide. Look here in Chicago. They got rid of three, three popular uh, police bosses who passed tests and did what they had to do to, to become the chief of patrol, to become a deputy chief, to become a, a commander in that office, and replaced them with? A wannabe black Matt Lauer and two other buffoons who didn't even pass the test but made it meritorious. Wait, but I want to be I want to be black Matt Lauer. He must host like a good morning sh- uh, a morning show. No, what? no, no. You you know what Matt Lauer got jammed up with? You know, and oh 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 oh. Mm, and that's I your see. leader of the police department right now. So I'm just letting you guys know the whole thing is ridiculous. So people better better realize self reliance is the way to go. Don't rely on the. Don't rely on these people to take care of you. Have a good. Have a good one, fellas. I'll be in contact. Thanks for the call, John. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Matt's outside. 
Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Dan, before you start taking any kind of buses, I'd be careful. I heard part of that uh, equity thing. They're going to have to start hiring uh, DUI convicts for uh, <laughs> driving uh, buses and stuff like that. The visually impaired, like uh, for uh, for FAA right. watching the you know F in the tower. I mean, I mean, you know, jeez, yes. <laughs> yeah, call Matt. I... <laughs> Glenn Oakbrook. Yeah. Good morning, uh, guys. So the. Uh... The folks that uh, want these uh, DEI flight controllers and pilots, those are the folks that should only fly uh, with DEI pilots and only fly when there's DEI uh, flight controllers. So let the people making the decisions experience what happens when you move uh, from a quality system to a, a, pol uh, a um, politically uh, correct uh, position. Thanks for the call. Maybe we're going to need to have like uh, say like rideshare apps for commercial airlines now, so I can take a look at the uh, number of trips flown and the uh, oh, the how many crazy. stars and public comments and so on and so forth. I want to pick my. It's going to get to a point where I want to pick okay. my pilot. Uh, Anthony Northeast Side. How you doing? This is Anthony. I'm just. Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing. I got a question for both of you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how can people sit there and identify as transgender when they're merely cross-dressing? If they don't go through the transition, how can they sit there and identify as, as far as trans? I mean, you see it all over social media. You know, people are saying, oh, I'm trans. I'm saying, no, you're not. Is that, yeah. Doesn't the LGBTQ community kind of like um, see that, you know, frown upon that as people trying to take away from the actual trans uh, gender community. I'll let Dan yeah. answer that, Dan. Well, I mean, it's a good question, Anthony. Thanks for the call. I mean, they let uh, Lori Lightfoot get away get away with wearing those Joe Pesci suits, uh, and they didn't make her, you know, identify as a dude. Um, so I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's just confusing. I mean, like again, calling the if if this is indeed him, these pictures that are circulating that calling the United CEO. Uh, transvestite now is apparently um, verboten. I mean, Amy, you're I'm horrified. I'm Yes, he, maybe Why? he just likes to dress up in drag or, you know, when well, he that, can. Well, that's what a transvestite is. Uh, I mean... Any lawsuits. Didn't you see Tootsie? <laughs> I mean... Yes, and he did I, a wonderful job. Well, I, it was brilliant. Dustin Hoffman was brilliant, but, you know, so maybe it's for professional reasons like Dustin Hoffman. I mean, he, maybe you need to be a transvestite to be the head of a Fortune 500 company these days. I, I don't just, know. If you're CEO of a company, why, why would you? No one wants to see your legs and your shoulders and watch you dress up like a Tony, Anthony, you know, Tony Tennille. Hmm. Um, Ralph and Rantoul. Yeah, good morning. You know, with AI getting powerful enough, maybe even Stephen Hawking could be an air traffic controller. Oh, speak um, of Stephen and Hawking. By the way, you know, uh, die, uh, you're talking about fly the friendly skies. How about die the deadly skies? And since when are Germans sensitive about mass murder? I'd like to <laughs> answer that question. And finally, this uh -huh. is a rich subject. D-I-E stands for don't interview excellence. Yeah, very good. Because it's, like a, it's all about quotas. It's all about quotas. It all It's Marxist in its origin. It's Marxist in its execution. And all of these soft brain stooges who follow this um, will be the first to be executed when they pull the guillotines out of the closet. 
Indeed. Uh, right. Thanks for the call, Ralph. Uh, the Neo Jacobins. Indeed. Uh, Chuck and Delavan. Uh, girls can clean house faster than guys. Girls can check out line, go to check out lines faster than guys. Never go to a line where it's a guy checking out. I myself, out of need, because I don't have a lot of time, it takes me five hours to clean my farmhouse every Thursday night. A couple of weeks ago, I put on a Vera Wang wedding dress. Boom, <laughs> I cleaned my house in an hour. <laughs> it's magic, just like that. Thanks for the call, Chuck. Well, that's the big question, right? The the question that we put, let's just put that Vera Wang. The uh, it, the question that uh, was raised by this trans activist on The Daily Show, we've, we've revisited this a couple times. Look, it's real simple, he said, he pretending to be a she. You either believe somebody who identifies as a woman is a real woman or you don't. And he's exactly right. He's exactly right. That's the question. So everybody just answer the question. You either believe a man who says I'm a woman is a real woman, is a real woman just like Amy is a real woman, or you don't. I am. Or you don't. Which is it? Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. You know, Dave Chappelle's got that new uh, comedy special out called Dreamer. Oh, yeah. Have you watched it yet? Yeah, it's pretty good. He's got a couple of riffs that are uh, on topic. God forbid I ever go to jail. But if I do, I hope it's in California. Because as soon as the judge sends me, I'll be like, Your Honor, before you send me, I just went to court to know I identify as a woman. <laughs> send me to woman's jail. <laughs> and as soon as I get in there, you know what I'm going to be doing? Give me a fruit cocktail, bitch, before I knock your mother teeth out. I'm a girl just like you, bitch. Come over here and suck this girl I got. Don't make me explain myself. I'm a girl. All right. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy with uh, everything frozen. Now seems like the perfect time to uh, have a little stop, look, and listen. A visit with our friend Roy Spencer, president of Permaseal Basement Systems. Roy, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. All right. So um, I've had the personal experience of how destructive water running through your home can be. Um, the uh, the destruction of ice melting and um, and and uh, and and attacking you know your foundation and your seals and stuff like that. What should people be thinking about when the thaw comes? Well, uh, even now, uh, we're getting a lot of calls uh, with people with frozen sump pump discharges. So, yeah, you know, right. just a few days ago, it was raining, and then it snowed, and it got real cold. Well, deep in the ground, you know, uh, below four feet, the ground's 55 degrees. There's plenty of water around your foundation as the snow melts. There's deep in the ground, and that water runs to the sump pit, and that then the sump pump wants to run. Well, if that discharge is, is frozen, 
the pump uh, will run, but it can't throw the water out, then the pump burns itself out. You can end up with a flooded basement. Here we are with, you know, four below zero, and your, your basement could still flood. So you really want to make sure that your sump pump discharges are, are, are clear and not frozen. Well, how do you do that? Well, you, you look at it, and uh, if your discharge is, you know, you may have gotten away with it during the summer or in the fall, and water is just pumping out onto the yard, but as that water builds up in the pipe, uh, it starts to freeze. And so it may have been working up to now, but now it's frozen solid. And so you just need to check it. And uh, you should always be checking your sump pump and just make sure it's mechanically work. We have something called the basement defender that will test it every day for you. But so if you, if you don't want to test it every day, that's fine. Uh, but give us a call. I'll be glad to check out your sump pumps because uh, it's, it's not front of mind. Everybody's trying to stay warm right now and we have a new insulation service we can help them with that as well but uh, as far as water you know the big thing is making sure your sump pumps work what's the insulation service well we've launched a new attic insulation we've been doing foundation basement waterproofing uh, basement crawl space uh, insulation but now we're up in the biggest source of energy loss which is the attic so most people Right now, they're feeling like, ah, I'm not certain my home is well insulated. They don't know. and Or they think, you know, my utility bill seems higher than it should be. We all feel that way, I'm sure. So uh, what we do now is we actually test your home. We can determine exactly how much air leakage and inefficient uh, your installation is using a blower door test. And using thermal cameras, we can identify the source of that. And more often than not, it, it, the big culprit is the attic. That's the, the biggest uh, energy loss in your home. And if you find Brian Cranston hiding in my attic, then you would take him out? I mean, did you ever see that movie Wakefield? Remember Brian Cranston, Jennifer Garner, he's hiding in the attic? You know, no, no you haven't seen that. All right, you're probably one. too busy but working, but yeah, check that out. Vermin, yeah. yeah, if we find any other vermin or insects, uh, we, we will uh, advise you at least about that. Now, yeah. you've been around for 45 years, and tell people how you started your company in your basement and also working out of your F-150. Yeah, exactly. Out of my one-bedroom apartment and my F-150 pickup truck working by myself. That was 45 years ago, and I'm really uh, proud and happy to say 45 years later, not only still standing, but we've helped over 500,000 Chicagoland homeowners make their homes healthier and, and more valuable. And uh, so obviously our company has grown from one truck to over 100 trucks now and over 200 employees. But, uh, yeah, we're quite uh, – Proud and happy about that. And to celebrate the event, uh, during January, we're offering 10% off on all of our services, including our new uh, attic insulation service, uh, by waterproofing, sump pumps, everything we do, even concrete raising. Uh, we're offering 10% off if they'll call by January 31st and get the estimate. Even if we don't do the work till spring, they'll still qualify for this sale. Or they can get up to 24-month interest-free. Is there, um, I, I, other than the sump pump freezing, like you were saying, you can still flood, is there other things associated with the sort of extreme cold that uh, everyone is experiencing that people should be cognizant of? Well, I, I guess just uh, it's a little late to disconnect your, your <laughs> hoses and things that should have been done in the, in, in the fall. You'll probably deal with that in the spring. But uh, just be be aware as things thaw of checking around in the basement because, uh, you know, cracks may, may have gotten worse or start leaking uh, with the thaw because, again, it'll thaw before the ground gets uh, before the outside temperature gets uh, above freezing and deep in the ground, it's already thawing out. So you can still get seepage 
and uh, be uh, checking for plumbing leaks and burst pipes. So the water always ends up in the basement, even upstairs in the bedroom upstairs. Uh, water runs down through the wall, could end up in the basement. So it's a good idea uh, that they always check around down there and uh, for any moisture. Yes, I have a frozen pipe, so that's not fun, and I don't know if you can insulate that thing. But talk about your crawl space encapsulation because somebody just texted in. They wanted to know exactly what that is. Yeah, it's a, a great service, a great time of year to do that. So if you've got a dirt or gravel crawl, uh, what that means is all the moisture and, and gases and insects and everything that lives in the ground has direct access in your home. And it comes up uh, through that soil, and it uh, brings moisture and gas, which causes mold and humidity. Uh, but that air continues on up into your home. It's being sucked up uh, through the attic vents, actually, all the way through the house. And so uh, that's not a healthy thing. So what we can do is we come in and make sure the crawl space is dry first, and then we put a, a liner. It's, it's like, almost like a pool liner, 20 mil thick, so it won't tear or puncture. It's bright white. And we line the floor and the walls and all the way around the uh, uh, crawl space. And so you're going to end up with a, a transformed space. Uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't go down in their crawl space on a bet. Uh, all of a sudden, you can use it for storage. So it's, it's valuable, clean, healthy space. So it's a great project to uh, tackle this winter. Did you ever see that movie, uh, Crawl Space, with uh, Henry Thomas? You know, Elliot from E.T.? Uh, it's a bit of a horror film. It may not be your speed, but, you know, yeah. Just, just saying. Got to start you know, a movie list here, Dan. Well, you get a, you get some downtime. You know, you want to relax and just sort of you know bed rot and and uh, you know have some you know enjoy some bread and circuses. So uh, things hiding in our attics and crawl spaces. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. No, they're scary places. I mean, this is right. This is this is this is why uh, you, you know people hire Permaseal because they they're not intrepid enough to go into their own crawl spaces or attics. Because you just don't yeah, know. Our guys are just that. And they're, and they're really tight, uncomfortable spaces, but there's important work that needs to be done in there, and our guys are equipped and, and trained to do it. Uh, so, yeah, speaking of that, I was going to ask you, since um, you've been in the market for uh, four decades, as you were describing, what what is the um, uh, employment uh, situation? Are, you know, a lot of uh, small to mid-sized companies struggling to find workers still. And I know you, you know, you, we, from conversations we have with you before, a lot of your guys are longtime employees, which is a good testament to your company. But, but, you know, as you grow, are you still having those growing pains of trying to find uh, the workers that you need to service all, all the clients? Well, that's a continual battle always has been trying to find good quality people who, you know, have our share, our core values and, and things like that. But in general, the job market, quite frankly, this last year has been better for employers. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems like uh, some businesses have been driven out of business. Some are downsizing. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. So that frees up a lot of labor. People are, are looking for jobs and gives us a bigger pool to draw from. So we're fortunate that way. But because we're growing, we expanded our services and stuff, we're always looking for good people, whether it's installers, uh, customer service people, salespeople, uh, you know, all the gamut. So we have uh, on our website, permseal.net, there's an employment section. And strongly encourage anybody who's either looking for work or looking for maybe a better opportunity to, to check us out. He is Roy Spencer, the president of Permaseal Basement Systems. The website again, Roy, is? permaseal.net. All right, Roy, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it. 
Thank you. And be, please be sure to have people call by January 31st. Take advantage of that 10% off on all of our services. Don't want to miss out on that uh, savings, okay? Right. Thank you. And the number to call is 800-421-SEAL, 800-421-7325. And Mr. Spencer joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, uh, you want to feel bad about yourself? Yes? No? I'm sorry. You, ba- you want to feel bad about yourself? Um, yeah, of, of course. You know, I strive to accomplish that every day, so yes. Uh, have you uh, heard about this uh, woman who was crowned Miss America? Oh, yeah. Marsha, or wait, Mandy, what's her name? I just had her picture. Madison Marsh. Madison Marsh, yeah. She's a, uh, Dan, you should get on that. She's good looking and she's smart. Uh, she's the first active duty member of the armed services to win Miss America. Listen to this. 2023 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy with a degree in physics. She's a second lieutenant. After her mother's passing from pancreatic cancer in 2018, she began the Whitney Marsh Foundation with her family. She raised more than 250 grand for research with her leadership team at the foundation. She's a graduate intern with the Harvard Medical School to to utilize artificial intelligence to detect pancreatic cancer. She's pursuing her master's in in public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School with her National Truman Scholarship. What else would you do with the National Truman Scholarship? Of course. In her free time, she enjoys flying planes, cooking pasta, and reading. Of course she can cook, too. Of course! Um, Flying plane, maybe... Maybe she hey, Scott Kirby. By United. <laughs> Scott Kirby, uh, I don't she may be overqualified yeah. because you know uh or underqualified because she doesn't check enough intersectional boxes. She is a woman, like a real one, not the one he pretends to be. But uh how 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 about that? Yeah, mission accomplished, Stan. Thank you very much. Yeah, Miss America. And she's um, absolutely stunning. Yeah. I mean, Michelle Obama's got nothing on her. No, no, she doesn't. Um, By the way, um, I've got, if everybody, anybody's interested, I got a mint condition uh, Michelle Obama rookie card from when she played for the Steelers, if anybody's. Uh, All right. So um, since we've done the whole thing, how about how about one more uh, snippet from Chappelle? Okay, please. All right, Chappelle, uh, this is from his recent uh, special, Dreamer, which is on Netflix. God forbid I ever go to jail, but if I do, oh, no, no, I hope one. it's a California. played that one, this one. And what Norm did, which I'll never forget, is he knew that Norm I was McDonald. the biggest Jim Carrey fan in the world. Now, I'm not going to go all into it, but Jim Carrey is talented in a way that you can't practice or rehearse. What a God-given talent. I was fascinated with him, and Norm knew that. And he called me up, and he goes, Dave, I'm... He says, I'm doing a movie with Jim Carrey. Um, do you want to meet him? And I said, F- yes, I do. And it was the first time I could remember since my father died being excited. And the movie was called Man on the Moon. I didn't know any of this. And in this movie, Jim Carrey was playing another comedian I admired, the late, great Andy Kaufman. Yes, and Jim Carrey was so immersed in that role that from the moment he woke up, to the time he went to bed at night, he would live his life as Andy Kaufman. I didn't know that. When they said cut, this was still <laughs> Andy Kaufman. 
So much so that everybody on the crew called him Andy. I didn't know any of that. I just went there to meet him. And when he walked into the room where we were supposed to meet, I screamed, Jim Carrey. And everyone said, no. <laughs> Call him Andy. And I didn't understand. And then he came over and he was acting weird. I didn't know he was acting like Andy Kaufman. He's just like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, hello. <laughs> Andy? Now, in hindsight, how f***ing lucky am I that I got to see one of the greatest artists of my time immersed in one of his most challenging processes ever. Very lucky to have seen that. But as it was happening, <laughs> I was very disappointed. Because <laughs> I wanted to meet Jim Carrey, and I had to pretend this was Andy Kaufman all afternoon. And he was clearly Jim Carrey. I could look at him and I could see he was Jim Carrey. Anyway, I say all that to say, that's how trans people make me feel. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.